Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show, sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Wilsey. Well, hello and welcome to the Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Wilsey, president of Wilsey Asset Management. Great to have you here on the show today. Uh, Chase is still uh, out. We do have our financial planner, CFP, Harrison Johnson. He'll be here. So if you got uh, financial planning questions, he's got some great uh, tips and ideas and that he can help you on. We've got some topics he's going to cover as well. Actually, uh, he will be talking today on financial planning, talking about uh, Social Security and Medicare changes coming up in 2024. Gosh, that's... That's strange to say 2024 already, but here it is. Uh, tomorrow's the first day of October already, so it'll be here before you know it. Uh, we are going to cover such things as uh, food stocks, uh, talk about uh, what's going on with the food stocks, uh, portfolio, well, what's going to happen in the last quarter uh, of 2023. we got to address the automobile strike. And then if we have time, we're going to talk about gold. Uh, gold took a big drop yesterday. What's going on with the gold plays there? So we'll talk about that. And as always, the phone number is here, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. As always, get you through for that unbiased, no strings attached, fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about. And when you call in, we go over the companies that you're looking at investing in, the investments to understand them. We'll look at valuation ratios to see what you're paying for that investment, the growth rates, uh, if they pay dividend, uh, what type of uh, dividend payout ratio they use in the debt of that company, profitability, all these important things to try to point you in the right direction of uh, should you buy that company, hold that company, or sell that company. They are called stocks. We don't like using the term stocks. It's a negative connotation to it. We like to say equity because it is equity. You actually own something. So again, that phone number, 833-288-0973. We'll start taking calls probably about uh, 10, 15 minutes. But let's talk about the food stocks because, uh, well, I got to admit it, I enjoy food quite a bit. But uh, looking at food stocks, I'm beginning to think I like them maybe a little bit better Food companies in 2023 are between 15 and 25%, and these are levels that some have not seen in 10 years or longer. And Harrison, I'm sorry, I forgot to bring you into the show. Everyone's <laughs> just speaking. Great to have you here today. Good to be here. <laughs> so, uh, you know, a lot of their names like Kellogg and Campbell Soup, uh, they're not as exciting as tech companies, tech companies, which have really helped the index rise this year, but with dividends of three and a half to five percent, we think investors should consider looking at these stable companies. And, and you got to be careful. There's companies like you know, cereal companies and uh, other companies. You've got to be careful because some of these are dying business. And I and I think it was another post we did in the newsletter. And by the way, the newsletter is free to get. Uh, these come from our newsletter that we write. It goes out every Friday at uh, five o'clock. Just go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. You can get the newsletter there. But um, also cereal companies, uh, back in the 80s and the 90s, uh, well, that's probably before you, well, about when you were- I was born uh, in the 90s, early 90s. Early 90s, okay, early <laughs> 90s. Uh, so you probably as a child had cereal. 
Well, that is not the, the case anymore. People aren't eating cereal anymore the way they used to. I mean, it's just like I remember I used to love, well, Captain Crunch and Cheerios and stuff like that. Their sales have been declining over the years. People don't eat cereal the way they used to. So you got to be careful what food company you look at investing in because you may think, oh, yeah, that's a great one, but it could have a lot of cereal companies and cereal's not being eaten the way it used to be. You know, it's funny you say that because I actually hate cereal. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's your generation. <laughs> I know a lot of other people do, but I, I just I don't like when there's something floating around in a liquid. So the milk, <laughs> how it gets, you know, it starts to get warm, and then there's the little flakes of the cereal. I, it just, I, I cannot do it. Um, but you mentioned, Brand, that a lot of food companies are down 15 to 25% this year. I mean, what do you think has caused some of that decline for these companies? You, you know, I, I haven't looked into it deep enough to really find out what the cause is. And what, what we, uh, we'll say as a management, what we do is we look, why is this down? You know, we, we see it down. Right now, I saw the food company stocks. It's like, then we start looking into, is there a real problem here that this should be down 15 or 25% or is it something that's on sale? Now, I think a lot of it has to do with inflation because what inflation does, it pushes up their prices and they can't raise their prices fast enough to keep up with that many times. However, inflation is coming back down again, mm -hmm. which is a positive. Mm -hmm. But what it does is it, it takes them a year or so to kind of get caught up. So I, that's why I'm saying now, maybe in next year, 2024, we could see these food companies, the right ones, increase by 15, 25%. And, and as I said, some of these pay like three and a half to a 5% dividend. So you lock in, we'll say a 5% dividend that will not go down, but only go up years to come. So mm -hmm. uh, I'm not telling people to jump in right now because I've not done the research on it. It's just it's something that we now have opened, uh, I'll say our radar, to look at that, and we may start looking deeper into food companies. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everyone's got to eat. So, I mean, it yeah. definitely seems like there's an opportunity there. And, you know, people are getting so excited about yields that they can get on T-bills and savings rates and CDs because now they can get 5%. Well, here's a 5% dividend. Uh, yep. Dividends are taxed less than... CDs, interest, um, T-bills are, and you know if you can get some appreciation because you find good value, then that's even better. And, and the other thing too that can happen, you know, five years, ten years down the road, and five years that five percent dividend may be seven percent, and in ten years it could be nine percent. Where that T-bill, I mean, who knows ten years what rates will be, but that T-bill will definitely come down mm -hmm. uh, at certain levels where you get a higher yield. This is why I love investing in businesses and owning companies because. Yeah, you got the volatility, and oh, like right now, this has been a not a great year, and so forth. But years, you can do very well investing, and you 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 buy, you invest when people don't want to. And right now, people say, "Oh, you know, I'm afraid of the market. I'm going to wait till things get better." What you're saying is my philosophy is to sell low and buy high. That's mm -hmm. that philosophy. That does not work very well. Yeah. <laughs> not long term. No, definitely not. <laughs> well, speaking of that, let's move on to uh, the uh, portfolio because there's only one business day. Well, actually, uh, there's no business no days business left days now, now in September. <laughs> and you may be concerned on where your portfolio stands for the month or even maybe year to date. I want to refresh people's memory that September is historically the worst month of the year for investing. And this September looks like, well, it's holding true to the history. But based on what I'm seeing, this is setting the stage for a very strong fourth quarter gain. We see lower inflation, which means we're closer to stable interest rates. And there are some very good values in equities. This is why investors who buy quality and stay the course do receive good long-term returns. 
If you have good quality equities, do not panic and sell out as we believe you will miss out on some very good future gains. And, and Harrison, you're you're the financial planner. And, and, and I always tell people, you're, you're, I, I say, and I always tell people, if you've got a financial planner, come in for the free consultation talk to you. Because I, I do really believe you're the best financial planner in San Diego, maybe the entire state, maybe the entire country. I don't know. And, and, and I say that because of how you listen to people. You're not trying to sell them a mutual fund. You're not trying to sell them an annuity. But how many people uh, come in and they get worried about their portfolios? I mean – who doesn't? <laughs> I, mean. I, I guess it's kind of a silly. Everybody gets worried about it. But but we have clients that say, no, I, I, I know this is normal. Uh, I'm not worried about it. Been with you for you know 20 years. Uh, I don't like it. I tell people that too. I, I've been through 23 corrections. I don't say, wow, great. We're going through a correction. Our portfolio mm-hmm. is down. I say, I don't like it. I understand it. But we're going to do maybe some buying and we're going to be patient. We'll get through it. But as a financial planner, and I, I know like a lot of your business probably comes from from our investment side, but I know you have other people that are not with us. Um, it, it, it is part of financial planning that is something you have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, to, to add on to that, I think people that I work with who have been with you a long time, Brent, aren't concerned like normal people are i'll meet with somebody new and like this month of september hasn't been great and you know they're worried out maybe i should be investing into gold which we'll talk about a little more later or maybe i should be you know looking at t-bills or maybe i should you know look at something more conservative um but you know that's not investing that's okay short term but when we're investing you know we're looking at long-term growth and we want appreciation we want dividends we want that those accounts to grow so that we can use them as future income sources from a long-term perspective and that's true whether you're you're 40 or whether you're 65 Mm -hmm. um so you know september as you said has been a bad month um Last September, I know a year ago, September was terrible as well. It was really bad. Historically, it is the worst month of the year. I thought it was October. It's not. It's actually September. It's it's September, and you you can play that game. Oh, well, if if historically September is really bad, maybe I'll just sell out of all (laughs) September. But you never know what's going to happen because maybe that September is going to be a good month. And if you miss just a couple of the best days, it destroys your performance long term. So you can't play that game of you know when to buy, when to sell. It really comes down to are you buying a good company? Are you buying a good investment? Don't worry about what it's going to do next month or even next year. Where is it going to be three, four, right. five years down the line? Yeah, and, and we know that market timing does not work. And, and do you sell August 31st? Do you sell September 1st? Do you buy back October 1st? Do you buy back September 30th? I mean, you can't play that game. You have to realize that that is part of what's going to happen. And, and, and you are so correct. We've had people with us for, you know, 10, 20, I think even over 30 years, I have clients over 30 years. Uh, the ones that are kind of concerned, well, Brent, I've been with you for like seven months and I, mm-hmm. I you know, I like what you have to say, but you know, gosh, you know, I'm, I'm down a few percent here. I'm, I'm just like, I'm, I'm not really happy. And I go, well, I told you this was going to happen. I said, we're investing for five to seven years. And I tell everybody, you're going to have uh, that period, at least a couple losing years. I don't guarantee it's going to be year three is going to be the losing year. It mm-hmm. could be the first year. It could be the second year, third Who knows? Well, this year, people came over to us. Their first year so far is on a losing track. Now, as I said, with September here, it was a terrible month. I do believe, based on valuations, based on what we see with inflation, had the PCE came out yesterday, very good report, um, that this fourth quarter is going to be a good quarter. And I know that now, oh, the federal government shut down. Like, oh, who cares about anybody? It's yeah. such a passing thing any longer. <laughs> um, 
but it's going to be a good quarter. And, and, a, and a good quarter, I'm saying that we could see uh, the portfolio up 5 to 10%. And I think if you're sitting in cash waiting to see the things get better, you're going to miss out. And then you'll come back in. You're going to miss the gains. And I don't have the time to explain it now. But if you figure this out on the compounding side, if you, if you buy a, a, an equity at $10 uh, and it goes to 14 you have a very good return. 40%. Yeah, but if you wait, say, well, I'm going to wait for things to get better, and you buy it at 12, you, and it goes to 14, your return is not as great, nearly as good. 18, something like yeah, that, 18. less than it's, half. It's mm-hmm. less than half. I mean, and it's just like, that's why you have to say, you know what, this is long-term money. Maybe I'm getting in early, but this business is one that, you know, well, the, the food company, I'm going to collect a dividend. Maybe it'll go from 33 down to 30. Okay, but if in six months, 12 months, it's up to 36, wow, I, I did better. You cannot time the market. You cannot. Uh, we have a crystal ball in our office, and it just does not work. <laughs> it, and doesn't people, work. <laughs> it doesn't work. We've tried it. It doesn't, it doesn't work. So what we do is to go back to the fundamentals of investing and saying this is the way to invest. This works out well. And it's just like it's, it's very hard for people because the emotions do come in. There's a new show, and I'm going to talk about this on uh, probably KSI next week as well. It's on NBC called Irrational. Mm. I have and, not seen it. <laughs> and I say, well, I, I, I just, I streamed it. I, you know, I'm going to get off track here. I really like cable better than streaming because I forget what I'm watching when I'm streaming. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but it's, uh, I, I saw it's on NBC Peacock, and it talks about how rational people are. And that is so true with investing. Mm-hmm. I mean, we act more on emotions than the rationality of what's going to happen. But people get so emotional, like, oh, oh, it's different this time. And my saying has been for years, yeah. It's different this time, but it's always the same. Yep. So that's but. that's exactly right. And you know, to that point, it's like, okay, well, do we sell? And the other the other problem is, I mean, if you do happen to time it right and sell at the right time, and then things go down more, I've never seen a case where someone's like, okay, now I'm ready to actually go back in and buy. Yeah. Because yeah. that's really what you should do. If you think it's going to go down more, sell and then buy when it goes down. But you never want to, because then you go into, yeah. well, you know, now I think it's going to go down more. I'm going to wait for it to level out, and so you play that game, or you sell and then it doesn't go down, it goes up. Well, now where do you get back in? Do you wait for it yeah. to go higher? Oh, well, now it's gone up. I've got to get back in and then it goes down again. And so long term, you can't do it. You might be right. right a couple times, but over the long term, which is what investing is, short term, it's just gambling. Long term, it's investing. You cannot do that consistently. And you're so right, too. And you got two things. You got to decide when to get out, when to get back in. And then also, too, the investing game is not, you know, one time. You've got 10, 20, 30, maybe 40 years. And you're going to have other signs too. Like, well, I was right back in 2023, mm-hmm. so I'm right again. And all of a sudden you're completely wrong. Things went up, you know, 10, 15%. You sat there. Then you go back in. Like, okay, well, I missed out back in. Then things go down 15 You get in this game that you never get a hit. And that's why the average investor only earns about 3% long term. Mm-hmm. That's why you've got to stay with good quality companies and Long term, you'll do fine. So uh, let's go to the phone numbers now because uh, we're going to be taking calls here in a a few minutes. Uh, Phone numbers are 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. And again, you got an investment you're looking at investing in or maybe one you hold and an equity and saying, I'm not sure if I should hold on to this. Brent talks about the good quality. Is this good quality? That's what we're here for. We'll go over all the valuation ratios and stuff to go through that for you. 
888-288-0973. And before we take the calls, uh, let's talk about the automobile strike because it is front and center right now. Uh, you may be thinking that automobile strike from the UAW against Ford, General Motors, and Stellantis won't affect you because you're not in the market for a new car. Well, uh, think again. The UAW president, Sean Fain, is not just striking against the car manufacturers, but also is causing part suppliers that don't have large inventories to have a disruption of supply chain of parts. What that could mean for you, if you own a Ford, General Motors, or Stellantis, you could be turned away when you need repairs on your car, like maybe brakes or a water pump. We still believe the union is being rather greedy with workers of the car manufacturers making between $65,000 to $95,000 a year and asking for an additional 40% increase over the next uh, four years, along with other benefits. It just seems excessive to me. And who pays the consumer? Yeah. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, yeah. you go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, when, when when we're looking at what Sean Fain is trying to do, it's it's a major ask. It's a major yeah. change. And any major change that happens in an economy cannot be isolated. The right. economy is money moving around, cash flow going here. Someone, you know, buys a service over here. That company uses those profits to then buy over here and invest over here. And so it's money moving around. And in a situation like this, he's asking for you know a substantial amount. Where if he got everything that he's asking for, these companies would not be able to potentially survive. Right. Um, but even if they could, that's going to mean major changes to the way these companies are run going forward. That's going to mean maybe less hiring in the future, maybe less investment in um, you know research and development. That's going to mean you know maybe more automation. So mm -hmm. it's going to be these changes, and it's it's. The same in physics, it's the same in this. Any action has an equal and opposite reaction. And so you can't just say, well, everything else is going to stay the same. Let's just pay these people more. Well, there's going to be a reaction to that. And that's, that's the point that we look at. How is this going to relate to the companies and the economy and the suppliers as a whole? And it's going to you know, lead to changes. And also, too, I want to point out, uh, sixty-five dollars to $95,000 a year, they're not in Southern California. Mm -hmm. They're in Michigan. You can buy a house in Michigan, I believe, for a couple hundred thousand. Uh, less than that. In oh, some less than case, that. You, yeah. I mean, you can find a house in Michigan for probably like $80,000 if you wanted to. I'd almost say let's move there, but no, I love the weather. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, <laughs> it's cold there. <laughs> but, but, I mean, that's a huge thing. And a 40% increase, again, it's not immediately, but over yeah, what, that's four not years. four. That's 40. 40, yeah, 40. <laughs> uh, we'll just say, so on the top side, 95000 put it at hundred. So in four years, you're going to make $140,000 in Michigan. I mean, it is just way above the norm. And what I want to point out, too, is that people say, well, it's really not going to affect me because I, you know, I don't take my car in the dealership. No, it doesn't matter. If you go to Joe Smith's you know, automobile shop, he gets his parts for General Motors and for Ford and for Stellantis from them. So they're not going to be built. And so you may have, you know, as I said, I have the water pump. There's many things that go wrong with your car. And he's going to say, sorry, we don't have the part. Well, what am I going to do? I need to drive my car. Sorry. I mean, this strike, and it's excessive. And I'm sorry. You know, people say, oh, you're such a capitalist. Yes, I am. <laughs> but, but it's like, I believe that they're getting paid a very good wage now. And they're trying to get higher wages because, oh, the automobile companies have made so much money over the last uh, couple of years. What happened prior to that during the, the COVID years? They, they couldn't sell cars. They couldn't get parts. So they had a terrible year there. So, yeah, they had a big year now because the demand has been pushed forward. But it's not going to continue for the next five years. Mm -hmm. And these people want to lock in these high pay raises. And also, too, I believe on Tesla, they make, 
almost about 60 to 70 percent mm-hmm. compared to what they make. You can't compete. Foreign, you know, Kia, uh, Hyundai, uh, Toyota. We can't compete. If you want to drive our last few American companies down the drain, sure, unions, go ahead, get what you want. And you'll see that, what happened to GM? What happened to Ford? Like, yeah, sorry, you guys drove them to business, out of business. Same way having a yellow truck, out of business because of the unions. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, and that's that's exactly the point. I mean, you, something like this cannot be isolated. It will ripple across the economy in yeah. different capacities and lead to, yeah, these companies not performing well, potentially going bankrupt or, you know, not being able to grow and, and compete with these other companies and these other companies growing getting market share and it's it's just not sustainable i mean things need to be done in a sustainable way long term and this is just i mean when you look at the demands it's just unbelievable right and and i want everybody to make a fair wage i mean if you you know work hard for the day you should get paid a fair wage but just getting more money just because something else happens well the company made more bigger profit therefore i get more the difference is that company may not make that same profit next year and when you want a bigger piece of that, you could hurt that business, destroy that business, and then like, oh, we're, we're out of, uh, I don't have a job because the company lost money. Well, yeah, because you took too much. <laughs> yeah, if the company makes less, do you want to get your pay dropped? Yeah, yeah. And it's just, uh, I, 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 I guess I have to say I am against unions because I think they are, are overstepping what they should be doing. Well, I mean, at a point, unions were necessary because people were being taken advantage of, but um, I, I don't think that's the case anymore. Right. So, and I mean, in the way that they go about these things is, again, it's just not sustainable, unfortunately. Yeah, and and, and uh, I mean, unions, they I, I believe they've outlived their source, and they and they have to keep doing this because if not, why am I going to pay, I don't know what union dues is, $50 a month, whatever, mm-hmm. Well, why am I paying you guys for doing nothing? So mm-hmm. they have to create these problems. And I would love to say this is new. It's not. It's been going on for 100 years. And it'll probably keep going on. Labor against management. And it's it does settle out. But it, it's just I wish that union would look at the balance sheet and the income statement of the company <laughs> saying, oh, you guys really don't have that money, do you? Right. <laughs> but they, they, well, we don't know how to look at those. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Well, let, let's go ahead up the phone lines here. 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Let's go out to uh, Bill in University City. Bill, you're on the Smart Vest Show with, uh, I was going to say Brent Chase, but Brent and Harrison right now. So how can we help you out? Oh, good morning. I'd like you to take a look at the company Synopsys, ticker symbol SNPS. They developed the computer software that's used to design the semiconductor chips. Okay. Uh, and do you hold that or looking to buy that? I've hold it. I've had it about 20 years, but it's gone up very, very high in the past couple of years. So I wonder if you think it's a uh, sell in here. It's a, it's a great company, but the valuation is very, very high. Okay. Well, let's take a look to see if we can justify that valuation for you. Coming again, a synopsis, symbol SNPS in the software uh, infrastructure. Not much on the short side, uh, 0.8%. That's positive. Institutional ownership is 94.6. You are correct. The P.E. ratio is high at 69, but the whole industry is high at 44.9. Price to sales also high, 12.9 versus 7.9. Price to book value, 40.3. Now, that is good compared to the industry. The industry is at 93.6, but price to cash flow for synopsis is 
0.3, above the industry at 25.3. Now, the peg ratio going forward is not that bad, and peg ratio is your price earnings divided by growth. Shows how much you're paying for the future growth of that company. It's 2.3, which is not bad, but it's not as good as the industry at 1.7. Again, the lower the number, the better there. Uh, earnings for the last year are up 1.2%, not as good as the industry, up 69 And sales climbed by 11.7%, which is better than the industry at, tw- at uh, 76 The five-year growth rate from the analyst comes in at 17.1. That's pretty good compared to the industry at 15.2. They do not pay a dividend. Their balance sheet, let's see here. They got a current ratio of 1.2 versus 1.8, so I wish that was a little bit higher. However, their debt level is very low, 0.1 versus 3.3. They also have a good uh, net profit margin of 18.7 versus 17.7. Return on equity, 17.4. Like seeing that. Now, the current stock or the current price of synopsis is $458.97, the high very close to that, $471.94. The low, $267 uh, is what the low is. Their market cap, $69 billion, $801 million. Let's take a look at the analysts here and see what they have to say on it. Going out to October 2024, they're obviously on a fiscal year. They're looking for earnings of $12.70, uh, 12 analysts. Pretty tight numbers here. The low is $12.18. The high is uh, $13.79. And let me see what uh, the 1270 to give us a target price here times 16.6 would give us a target sell price of 210. So, yeah, it, it is pretty pricey. Uh, those earnings have come up over the last 90 days from 1234 to 1270. But the thing I don't like here about pricey uh, companies, Bill, is that when things go right, everything goes good and it keeps going up, and then they just get some bad information, a disruption on the supply chain, or something happens, and you lose 30 40%, they're worked out your gain. So we like to sell when a company gets to that level of 16.6%. That's the average of the last 40 years. Uh, you're well above that. The stock may continue to rise, but you are in a lofty zone. I'll, I'll put it that way. So I'd, if you came to us, we'd say, yeah, we, we want to sell this company, and we want to find you something that's on sale. All righty? Okay, thanks for your help. All right. Well, thank you for calling. Have a good one. Okay. Sure. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. That does open the phone line. 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Let's go out to San Diego and speak with Ted. Ted, you're in the Smart Investor with Brent Chase. How can we help you? Good morning. I'd like your opinion on uh, ASML. It's a Netherlands maker of those super ultraviolet light photolithography machines. Yes. Did you know how much those machines go for? Well, several million dollars. They're, they're the size of a bus. Yes. And, and actually, I read this book called Chip Wars, and I was shocked. And this was written probably about a year ago now. But those machines go for over $100 million. I, I, I just thought... That is incredible to me. But what they do is incredible. So it's just, it is amazing. So yeah, over $100 million for the machine. And you actually get, when you buy those machines, you actually get an engineer that goes with the machine in your company and stays with you the entire time you have that machine. <laughs> so pretty mind-boggling. Yeah, pretty amazing company. So let's take a look at AS. Uh, ML uh, holding, that is their, their symbol uh, as well. Uh, then the semiconductor equipment and materials industry, nothing on the float side. 
Institutional ownership is 19.8, but again, this is a ADR, I believe is what we're looking at uh, since it is uh, a Netherlands company. Uh, we do see a PE ratio of 29.9, above the industry at 23.2. Price of sales are high, 8.6 versus 5.4. Price to book value, 41.9. That is less than the industry at 48.2. And price of cash flow, 29 versus 20.7. And you got a good pay ratio here, which means you're not paying much for the future growth of the company. 1.3 versus 5.1. Now, earnings per share of the last year up 34.8%, about three times the industry at 12.6. Sales increased 34.7 versus 16.7, so that's another good one there. Very nice five-year growth rate, 22.9 versus 12.3. You do get a small dividend, 1.3%. They use about 31% of their earnings to pay that out. Look at the balance sheet here. We've got a current ratio of 1.3 versus 2.4. Debt to equity looking pretty good, 0.4 versus 0.5. They have a net profit margin of 28.5%. That's above the industry at 22%. So every $100 million machine that they sell, they get 20 I guess that's $28 million they, they make off of every machine. That's what they get. Uh, return to equity is very good as well, 69.9, uh, well above the industry at 54.6. Look at the stock price. It's uh, $588.67. Now, this is nice to see because it's off its high of $771.98. The low was $363.15. But you may have something here because you're not paying the top price for it. Uh, the market cap of the company is $232 uh, billion. Let's take a look at the uh, analysts say for the earnings going forward. Going out to uh, December 2024, looking for earnings of $23.24. Now, here's a problem. You've, you've got a wide range there. The low estimate's 1995. The high estimate's 2706. Out of 19, that tells me that that's not a very strong number because they're all over the board. Uh, that number, 2324, is down from 2395. And let me just look at the target sell price at 2324 times 16.6. That would give me eh, 385. So, yeah, it, it is unfortunately way overpriced. But this company does amaze me what they do. Uh, they got some good numbers going forward. But here again, like the last caller as well, you're paying a lot for this company. And, and Ted, you say you hold it or looking at buying it? I hold it. I, uh, about less than 1% of my portfolio, and I just bought a few more shares recently at the pullback. Yeah, and it, it, it's an amazing company, but again, you're definitely paying up for it. You know, we, we again, at our firm, Wilson Asset Management, we like to buy things on sale and sell them when everybody thinks they're the, the best thing, which is what this company is right now. And it could have a very nice future. But again, if something happens to the industry uh, with this company, you could see a drop of 30 40%, and, and there goes all your profits. So I, I, you don't have a big holding into it. Like what the company does, just too expensive for us to buy it. All righty? Okay. Thank you very much, guys. All right, Ted. Thanks for calling. Have a good one. Bye-bye. All right. That does open the phone line, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Well, Harrison, early in the show, we talked about uh, you know financial planning and how Social Security and Medicare has some changes coming in 2024. Let's let's talk about that. Yeah, so I've got a love-hate relationship with Social Security, kind of like tax. Really? Oh, I, yeah. I, I'm surprised you have any type of love relationship with well, it, but i got to hear why. Well, the love <laughs> that I have for it is I like to know how it works so that I can, you know, figure out how to 
how to you know work at the best, get the most money out of it. But I hate the system as a whole. Um, kind of like taxes. Hate taxes, but I like to know about them. But as far as some of these changes that we're going to see next year, um, as we're getting closer to the end of this year, we're getting more information about the benefit and cost changes coming to Social Security and Medicare. Next year, the expected increase for Social Security payments is 3.2%, which is quite a bit lower than the 8.7% cost of living adjustment last year and the 5.9% increase that we saw in 2022. Now, now here, is that an estimate or do they base it on, because obviously the year is not over yet. Mm-hmm. Do they have like a, do they look at the fiscal year that they've functioned on? Or so they that? actually look at uh, third quarter to third quarter. So the okay. third quarter just ended. So we'll get the official numbers in the next like two weeks or so. But okay. based on the numbers that we're seeing, it's it's going to be about 3.2%, yep. which means it's going to be quite a bit less than, you know, the last couple years of increases that we've gotten. Um, right now, the average beneficiary is receiving just under $1,800 a month, $1,792. Um, and so this increase results in about $57 a month. Uh, the annual increase, as I was just saying, is determined by the inflation from the third quarter of 2022 compared to the third quarter of 2023. So it's going to take maybe till the middle of October until we see exactly what that looks like. Um, but again, it's going to be in that 3.2% range. As far as the Medicare side goes, last year we saw Medicare Part B premiums decrease from $170.10 down to $164.90. However, in 2024, these premiums will be increasing again up to $174.80. This 6% increase is largely attributed to the cost of a new Alzheimer's drug coming out. Uh, Medicare Part D, Medicare Advantage, and Medicare Supplement premiums are expected to be mostly unchanged from their current levels. So overall, even though the benefit increase from Social Security will be relatively small, it will be enough to cover the increase in the Medicare costs that we're going to see. Yeah, and, and I think I never got any of this benefit uh, <laughs> before. I said, don't get that. Every time I ask you, Harrison, does that benefit me? No. Harrison, benefit <laughs> me? No. Okay. But, um, I mean, what we are seeing is that they will get a, a, an increase about 3.2% in their Social Security, uh, which doesn't sound like a lot, but you got to remember that is on top of the 8.7% they got last year, and I guess in 2022 they got 5.9%. Mm-hmm. So if you compare on Social Security what you were getting from, we'll say, 2019, about four years ago, you're probably getting about 20% plus more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the, over the past couple of years, the, the increase has been pretty large. In 2021 and 2020, the rates were really small, like one percent, one point something percent. Those are really small. But um, 2022 and 2023 and now into 2024. Yeah, we had 5.9, 8.7 and 3.2. So compounded, it's, you know, it's been a pretty nice increase. Now we've also had inflation during that time that's it's going against. Um, and that kind of leads into the whole reason of why I don't like Social Security. You know, I hear a lot of people say, well, it's not going to be there for me or, um, you know, whatever. And I, I think <laughs> It would be nice if it wasn't there for you. The problem is it is going to be there, and it's a terrible system. <laughs> wait, wait. It would be nice if it wasn't there for you. Now, why, why do you say that? Well, if it wasn't there, it would have to be replaced by something. Uh, they're not going to be – they're right. not just going to take it away and then not put anything in that right. void. So if it is going to be there, that means we're not going to have as much change to the system. And I was, I was looking at some numbers recently. If someone makes $100,000 a year – that means when they get to their full retirement age, they're going to get about $3,000 a month as far as you know what the benefit right. from Social Security is going to be. Now, if you compare that to what that would have been if you 
did anything else with that money, if you make $100,000 a year, that means you automatically have 6.2% of your wages withheld. It's right. it's a tax. It's in addition to federal and state taxes. It's a separate tax. It's an after-tax um, withholding. And so on $100,000, that's 6200 bucks. So since it's after tax, if you would instead put that $6,200 into like a Roth IRA, for example, and then also your employer does the same thing, they also take $6,200 for them. It is tax deductible. So it'd be kind of be like a, a 401k match. So that's $12,400 a year on your $100,000 salary. If you saved and invested that over a 40 year time span, right. it would generate a whole lot more than $3,000 a month. Oh yeah. You yeah. know, 10, yeah. 15, potentially $20,000 a month, depending on how it's invested. So that's why I hate the system. And yeah, it would be great if it wasn't going to be there, if it could be replaced with something better. But this is the system that we have. Um, hopefully there's some changes. Well, there's going to be some changes to it because it looks like it's you know, underfunded in the next couple of years. So we're probably going to see some changes to taxes or some changes to benefits. Um, or but, both. Or most likely both. Yeah. Most likely both. Increasing for retirement ages, um, higher taxes on wages, higher taxes on maybe capital gains or other types of investment income. So there's going to be changes to it, but it would be so much better if that, if that money could be used in a different capacity. Because yeah. right now, the way Social Security works is that money that we pay in taxes, it can only be invested in government treasuries. So yeah. it's not allowed to be invested. Where other countries, you mentioned um, the Netherlands, Holland actually has a similar social security program, but their program is able to be invested in things. And right. so when you look at the performance of that trust fund that they have, it has, you know, 10 year growth, five year growth, 12 year growth, where if you look at ours, it's, you know, whatever. Treasuries are doing. And, and I agree with you with the concept, but the thing I worry about is I don't think the government would be a very good investor. I don't think so either. I mean, <laughs> and that's the problem. There's, and, and, there's yeah. not a simple solution. Yeah. I mean, because on the other side of it, if I was just looking at myself, I would rather opt out of Social Security and say, oh, right. well, I'll, I'll invest the money myself. But if you could opt out, everyone's going to opt out. And right. that means the government might not be a good investor, but a lot of people might not be good investors either. And so then we could get to a situation where people are, you know, 65 or 70 and they don't have any assets like right now right. or, and they also now don't have any income either. And so then the, that would have to, you know, be a problem. And the cost of dealing with that would potentially be more than what the cost of social security is right now. So it's not a, it's yeah. not a good solution one way or another. Yeah. And the problem is, unfortunately, people would not be responsible. And we still see that now people are like, Oh, you know, I'm 55 years old. I, I didn't plan for retirement. I, I'm going to retire in 10 years. Like, well, it's going to be very hard now. <laughs> but with social security, it gave them a, and it was supposed to be a supplement, mm -hmm. not the retirement. Yep. But people, you know, again, we talk about, oh, they, they could have done better investing on their own. Unfortunately, many people would have not done that. Yep. And they get to 65, they have nothing. So I, I don't know a better system than Social Security is right now for what it does. And, uh, you know, I know there's conceptually better ones, mm -hmm. but yeah. ones in practice would not work. Right. And, and so and the thing with people like, oh, Social Security is going to be gone when I'm old, uh, older. No, it will not be gone. It'll just be different. Yep. And it'll probably be a pay-go system where you pay in being younger and then somebody on the other side just collects it out. So, um, yeah, it could never not be there. There will always be something there for people because it's just uh, it, it can't be gone. And the the, 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 the base the base investment part, the portfolio, 
that will be gone. Mm-hmm. But there's always money coming in yep. uh, to the to the system for people. So, mm-hmm. all right, phone number is eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. That's eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. Let's go up to Oceanside and speak with Gene. Gene, you're on the Smart Vest Show, with Brent Chase. How can we help you? Oh, good, good morning. This is uh, Gene, and um, I haven't talked to you for a long time, but I listen to you most of the time. Well, thanks for listening, Anyhow, and thanks for being there. You're very welcome. Hey, um, Pulte Holmes, our CEO, was on the uh, television here probably about a week ago or two weeks ago, and uh, what they're doing, they're buying uh, other homes from other uh, builders, and uh, then they're renting them out, to renters, do you think um, they have a plan to go ahead and, um, you know, when interest rates drop, that uh, they'll be selling these homes to um, the, the renters? That's a very good concept, and Harrison kind of kick in on this as well. Uh, but uh, it's a very good concept. I was not aware. We used to own Pulte Homes. Uh, we sold them, made a nice profit. Uh, but that's because right now people can't afford to buy the home. I think the probably you get into is that how long it's the lease for and so forth. Um, I, I'm I'm happy this concept that Pulte Homes is doing that because we need the housing. Mm-hmm. But now mortgage rates, I think around seven and a half percent. And I and I gotta say too, I, I got a call from a client where he's looking at buying a house, and I'm starting to hear these negative amortization rates. Really? And it's just like, he goes, yeah, well, my first year, my payment's this and that, and then second. It's like, we don't want to get into that craziness. Oh, no. So, But this may be a better solution, being to rent the home and then have it for sale for you. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. conceptually, it would it would work well. I, I wonder, in practice, how it would work out, because Zillow tried to do a similar thing where they oh, were right. buying and, and yeah. selling homes, and, you know, they were doing it in a time when there was a lot of appreciation going on and they still couldn't figure out how to make it work. Now, I don't know if they were actually trying to rent in the meantime. I think they were just buying and then selling. Yeah. But, you know, the business model wise for these large companies, if they can come in and buy um, buy single family homes, rent them out, usually these these companies are able to secure better financing that a lot of individuals are. And so mm-hmm. if they can leverage that and then get enough rent um, cash flow to satisfy that debt and everything, and then if rates go down, maybe we'll we'll see a little bit of a, appreciation on on the real estate side. Maybe not. Um, conceptually, it, it it seems like it would work, but I, I think part of the other problem as far as selling directly to renters is renters have experienced you know their rents going up the last couple of years and inflation and everything. So a lot of them are are struggling saving money on the side of that, which means, you know, if it comes to the point where they actually need to make a down payment or buy something, a lot of them aren't in a capacity to do that. Um, You know, and then you talk about these negative AM loans, and I hope we don't go back down that that path. Um, I I saw another thing, I think it was Zillow and maybe another company were talking about doing like 1% down loans or something like that, which means you're financing a larger cost of it, you have more PMI, you have, you know, higher mortgage payments. and those can be dangerous too, because if you have a one percent down and things go down, people are like, eh, going to walk away from it. And yep. with Pulte Homes, I mean, I, I, I'm just looking at their balance sheet right now. Uh, a couple of years ago, they had about uh, seven point nine billion dollars in cash. That's now up to eleven point three billion dollars in cash. So they could actually do this. And for them, it's different than I think what Zillow did, because mm-hmm. with Pulte Homes, they're building the home. They know they can't really sell them because of the high mortgage rates. Mm-hmm. But hey, we could do a six-month, twelve-month lease. 
we get some cash flow coming in. We've got we've got eleven billion dollars in our balance sheet, so we can handle this this type of uh, investment. Um, and then when rates, because we we do believe probably next year, mid mid year, or so we should start seeing decline rates. Now they're not going to go down to a three percent mortgage, mm-hmm. but <laughs> that's how things yeah. kind of work, Ted or, or Gene. Is that what happens? Is that you know you go up to the seven point five, and it goes back down to six point five. Like wow, things are on sale. Yep. And then they could maybe sell that home. So we know we need the homes. We're building the homes. So as opposed to have them sitting there empty, I, I think it's a pretty good concept uh, for, for Pulte Homes to do that. Yeah, I mean, especially as opposed to having those homes sit empty, if this can add more homes, even if it's just on the rental side, that should help on the um, on the, the purchase price of homes because yeah. if there's a larger supply of rentals, that's going to bring down the price of rentals, which you know indirectly... Uh, pulls down the the price of housing because now you can't get as much rent because of um, the supply of all the the rental homes out there. So overall, I think it's a good right. concept. I'd want to look at the numbers to see how they want to go about doing it. You mentioned they've got a lot of cash. Are are they planning on buying these homes with cash? Are they planning on financing? What are the financing terms? What's the uh, the um, the rental terms that they're looking right. at? But conceptually, it, it, it could definitely make makes sense. And I got to say on the housing market, and I, I, I was watching something yesterday and they showed a 20-year chart of housing. It went way up, 2008 hit, went down, now back again, way up. You know, what, what's over the next three, four years? I, I, I That does kind of worry me because housing prices cannot keep going up. Yes, mm-hmm. I know that there's a shortage of houses now, but People can only pay so much based on their income. Uh, Gene, do you hold Pulte Homes? Or are you looking at buying it, or, or what's your situation? I was thinking uh, to buy it. Okay. Well, let me look at some numbers for you because, again, I, I, I did say we sold it. Uh, we made a great profit on it. Sometimes I wish we still had it, but, again, I am worried about the prices of homes. I do want to run over for you and everybody else uh, the fundamentals on Pulte Homes. They're some of those PHM. They're in the residential construction industry. I'm surprised they, they do have about a 5% float, which is higher than I thought it would be on the short side. Uh, so surprised by that being at 5%. Uh, we do have a good PE ratio, 6.2 versus 8. Uh, price to sales, 1 versus 0.9. Price to book value, 1.7. Above the industry at 1. And then price to cash flow, 8.4 versus 8.1. They do have a good pay ratio of 1.2. Now, the earnings of last year, they did extremely well, up 34.5%, better than the industry at 11.4. Sales, 13.5 versus 7.2, another positive there. They see a nice five-year growth of 5.3%. The industry's a negative two, which surprises me. You do get a a 0.9% dividend from Pulte Homes. They only use 5.2% of their earnings to pay that out, so they use a lot of that money maybe for this rental, maybe to build more cash going forward. Uh, we do see that on the balance sheet, current ratio 4.7 versus 8.4. Debt equity is 0.2 versus 0.3. And builders do have a little bit different uh, way of accounting for their, their assets on the balance sheet. So that, that's why that point, uh, that 4.7 is high. Uh, we do see a net profit margin, very good, 16.3 versus 11. Uh, return on equity, 28.3. Versus 19.5, that's a positive. Now, now the stock is currently at $74.05, the high, 86.15, the low, wow, $35.99. Let's look at the analysts going forward here, see what they're saying, that uh, earnings going forward. Now, this will go out to December 2024. We have 15 analysts. They have uh, earnings estimate of $12 and a penny. Uh, the lowest 10.22, high 13. Again, that's about a 30% range, a little bit higher than I'd like it to see. 
That 1201 is up from 1190 before. And then let me just look at uh, what our target sell price would be at 16 times at uh, 12.1. Uh, that would give me a target sell price of 199. So I mean, it's you've got some good numbers in there. And I think home builders do a, a pretty good job. They do a lot more options as far as land, so they don't get stuck like they did before. I, 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 the numbers look good on it. I want to almost buy Pulte Homes back, but I just see those charts, and I see them where the housing, you know, I, I know a chart doesn't go up forever, and, and that's kept me out of it, and that's why we sold. Uh, and I think we're down, had we kept it, I think we've been a little bit higher, but it's just one of those things there, uh, Gene, what is housing going to do, and how can people keep affording these higher-priced homes? Uh, in the market. Alrighty. Okay, I appreciate your help, and uh, one of these days we'll get together. Yeah, let us know. We'll we'll be there for you. All right, sir. Thank you. Have a good one. You too, Gene. Bye bye. All right, that is on the phone line eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. That's eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three and uh harrison uh this you know people always want to buy a home and i i always tell people yes there's a good time to buy a home but i i have a hard time now and i've always had i, I believe uh with with people pulling out their 401k or born against their 401k for that down payment on that at home thinking oh this is going to make my life so much easier yeah i mean if you're going to buy a home do it right plan for it, make yep. sure that you have your other assets working for you. You've got your 401ks, your retirement accounts, your other investment accounts going. Um, make sure that if you are renting, you're budgeting for that cash flow because when you go from renting up to buying, you know, your cash flow, especially in places like Southern California, is going to triple when right. you add in property taxes and insurance and everything else. So it's not a lateral move. And if you want to buy a home because, you know, you've got a family and, you know, you want that stability and you want to be there for a long time in a school district and everything else, you know, just make sure you're doing it the right way. We see people that think that I got to buy a house. That's the only goal I have. And I want to do it, you know, two years from today. Right. It's really not the right way to look at it. It's better to make the right decisions along the way, plan for it. And then when the opportunity comes up, be ready to take advantage of it. And, and, and you know, People forget too, like, and, and I, I know realtors do this, like, oh yeah, you're gonna create tax deduction. It's not as great as you think. And I, I tell no. people, your best tax deduction is your 401k. For every dollar you put in, you you get to write off a dollar and you keep that dollar. Not so great with the housing side, is it? Unfortunately, it's not. I mean, especially right now with the way that itemized deductions work, a married couple, and that's another thing that's changing next year. Right now, the standard deduction is 27700 Next year, it's going up to about $30,000, nine wow. or something like that. So what that means is every married couple out there has an automatic $30,000 deduction. And when they buy a house, now they have mortgage interest and property taxes that can now be deductible. However, property taxes and state taxes are capped at $10,000. And so that means the first $20,000 of interest that you have does absolutely nothing for you when it's tacked onto that $10,000 state and local tax because you're exactly even with what your standard deduction is. So you've got to have you know, a really large mortgage and a really high interest rate and paying a lot of money and in interest to even itemize to get any type of tax benefit. But that's not the same as saying, well, you know, you have a 7% mortgage, but you're in a 30% tax bracket. So that means you get 30% off. When you actually look at it, 7% interest on your mortgage because of the standard deduction might mean, and now it's only a 6% mortgage, which is still, you know, after tax, 
pretty expensive. Right, right. And and the thing too is that the mortgages are capped at what seven hundred fifty thousand. Seven fifty. Yeah, seven fifty. Um, and and the, with the standard deduction going to thirty thousand dollars, you said. Yeah, twenty nine nine, I think. I mean, that really is going to wipe out. I, I, I maybe you can do the math. I mean, not not right now, but is there a level where like if you can't afford uh, a certain house? It's not going to give you a good tax deduction. It's going to be less than if the, the standard deduction. Well, yeah, really the only way to, to make it worth it is you have to have a large loan. Yeah. I mean, if you buy— But, but, you're, but you got that cap, too, is seven fifty. Exactly. Right. And so, like, if you have a $750,000 loan or anything above that, which anything above that, you're paying interest and not getting the deduction. But if you did it perfectly and said you had a $750,000 loan, let's say seven and a quarter interest rate— your normal standard deduction is 30. That means when you add in the interest on 750, I think that's like 50 something um, plus the state and local. So you might be looking at a, a 60 to $65,000 total itemized deduction, which is an extra $30,000 of a deduction, which is gonna save you somewhere around $10,000 a year um, on a house that is maybe a million dollars on right. a $750,000 loan. So saving 10 grand a year, you know, 800 bucks a month when you look at the, the whole asset um well if you bought a million dollar asset that's one percent one percent of that home that, that you're saving if you save ten thousand dollars a year but also too, what, what people have to realize and correct me if i'm wrong here you don't get the standard deduction and then on top of that you get the interest no you, it's one, no, or, the it's one or the other one or the <clears> other so you could actually do worse buying a home because you lose a standard deduction or, well, you don't necessarily lose it. You just would buy the home. And let's say you, you buy a home and your interest on it is uh, $15,000. And then because you you know put a large down payment down, right. you're, you're, you're borrowing a little bit less. And then you have your cap of state and local taxes at 10. So now your itemized deductions are 25000 Well, then all of that is not deductible because you would use your standard of 30. And so the only way to get any type of tax benefit for it is to have a really large mortgage, which... To have a large mortgage, that means you're paying high interest rates right now. Right. And, and, and it's, it, it's really taken away from the benefit, which could cause problems in the housing market down the road, because that was always a big thing. Like, well, buy a home, you get a nice tax deduction. And that's something that we could be seeing as well, because right now, the... Uh, and, uh, let me... Uh, I'm older. I forget things. <laughs> so I, I got to ask real quick. So that 30... went up to 30,000. Is that indexed to inflation? Because a standard deduction... Okay. So it, that's going to keep does. increasing over that, years. That'll keep okay. increasing over time. And if you're 65 or older, you get an extra... This year it's fifteen hundred. Next year it's probably going to be like sixteen hundred. So that means if you're do, a Ameri- do I get that? Yes, I do. Uh, well, you're going to itemize now, so you're not. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Oh, you always say no. I don't get it. <laughs> so, but that means if you're a married couple and both are over sixty-five, that's like another three thousand thirty-five hundred. So now your total itemized deductions are thirty-three, thirty-four thousand um, dollars. But the point I was saying is that's the way the tax system works right now. Starting in 2026, that should be changing. The mortgage amount will go from 750 up to a million, so potentially more interest would be deductible depending on the size of the loan that you have. And also, that $10,000 cap should be reduced on state and local taxes, which, I mean, one of the hard parts about buying a home in California is your property taxes are so high. Right. now. Over time, they don't increase that much, but when you're starting, it's like a barrier to entry because your property taxes are, are one and a quarter percent of the purchase price of the home. If you buy a million dollar home, that's a thousand bucks a month just in property taxes. Um, but 
that plus your state income taxes is that cap of $10,000 should be removed. So if you pay, you know, $15,000 a year in state taxes, plus you have another $15,000 of property taxes, that's now a $30,000 deduction as opposed to a $10,000 deduction. So that's a benefit. Um, and then also HELOC interest should be deductible again for no matter what you use it for. It doesn't necessarily have to be used just for the house. All of those <clears> things are changes that should be coming in 2026. That's not set in stone yet. That could that could change depending on what happens over the next couple of years and the election and Congress and all these things. Um, but the point of it is there's still going to be a standard deduction in some capacity, which means when you buy a house, there might be some tax deductibility of it, but it's not as much as it might seem. And uh, mortgage brokers and realtors like to say that, oh, you get all these tax benefits. You do get some tax benefits, <laughs> some. but it's not like you know putting in your 401k where every dollar that goes in there is fully tax deductible right. or you know any other deductions. Um, I mean, putting into your HSA or something like that, right. uh, you know, or business expenses. Those are all fully deductible. Where this, you have to you have to choose between the standard deduction or itemized deduction. And, and it's funny because uh, you know people still have that feeling like, oh, you know, I got to buy a home. It's the best thing to do, and and you know, get a great tax deduction. And and this is why you're so important as a good financial planner because you're not trying to sell them an annuity. You actually look at saying, you know what? Let me be the bearer of bad news. It it's not the best thing for you tax-wise. And if you want to buy a home just to have it, fine, go ahead and do it. Mm -hmm. But don't fool yourself that you're going to get a great tax deduction because you're a real estate broker who knows nothing about taxes said you are. Yeah, and I, it, it's it's unbiased, as you said. I've been a renter. I own a home. I know I know <laughs> what it is. Um, and homes are expensive. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. You're you, putting flooring in your house. Oh, it's a pain. How's your back doing, by it the way? It hurts. My <laughs> knees hurt. My back hurts. After this, I'm going to install baseboards and do something else. I, I mean, it's it's a and I just paid my property taxes this week. Next year, it's going to be even more because it doubles up because I'm paying my property taxes this year based on the sellers and that renting's looking pretty good right now. I know it's like man, my rent. I, I paid like a year's worth of rent in the past couple of weeks. And, and again, there are a lot of benefits to owning a home. <clears throat> I mean, because you're going to have a family, raise a family, you want to do that that home. So I'm uh, giving a little bit of a hard time there. But 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 what I'm trying to get people to do is that, and the, they do talk to you. I mean, when, when you're a financial planning client, these are the things you want a good financial planner for, not to sell you some annuity or life insurance or, or some mutual fund, but to be able to sit down with someone like yourself and say, this is what I'm thinking of doing. What are the pros and cons of doing that? And I mean, at the end of the day, it comes down to the numbers. And if you know how to read the numbers and analyze and interpret the numbers, they'll show you exactly what to do. So whether that's buying a home or investing in something or taking social security or, or you know, buying an annuity or life insurance or not, or, um, you know, going about how you pay for a house or going about how you reduce taxes, it, it all comes down to the numbers. What's the present value of this in impact? What's the future value of it? What is the cash flow look over time? And that will show you exactly what to do. So there's, there's really no place for bias because a bias would be going against the logical numbers that are that are right there. Right. <clears throat> so if you want, <clears throat> excuse me, you want a free consultation with Harrison, again, he's my financial planner. His office is like 10 feet from mine. I think probably once a week, Harrison, can I do this? <laughs> like, no. He says no, but, <laughs> you know, but it's better because people sometimes do stuff <clears throat> and then they think they're going to get a great tax deduction. Mm -hmm. They go, tax guy, like, well, what happened? Well, you don't. So that's why you want to have somebody. And that's the other thing, too, about your financial planning is that we have a system to where you do the whole financial plan. takes a lot of time to put that together. But then afterwards, you're there to give them advice on what they 
may make in future decisions. And that's that's crucial because not every decision for your financial life can be made today. Yeah. Some things can, some things can't. You know, you can make the decisions that you have, but then we'll have to see what next year turns around. What What's going to happen with your job? What's going to happen with inflation? What's going to happen? So you need to make decisions consistently. Yep. So if you want a free consultation with Harrison, give him a call at the office, 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Or visit the website smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. Thanks for listening to the Smart Investing Show. It is for information purpose only and should not be used as investment advice. If you'd like to discuss in more detail your investment needs, have other investment questions on the investment side, feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey also at 858-546-4306. Again, 858-546-4306. And we can also be reached at that website again, smartinvesting2000.com, smartinvesting2000.com and sign up for that free newsletter. A lot of great information there. Have a great day. We'll talk more next week right here on the Smart Investing Show.